it is 1 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. That means it's time for Post to Post on 93.1 CFISFM. Alan Wishart in the host chair. Frank Peebles will be joining me a little bit later in the show to talk sports and specifically the Koi Cup because he was in Cornell for uh, the event this uh, last week. But we're going to start on the fields. UNBC men's soccer coach Steve, so- Steve Simonson joins me. Good afternoon, Steve. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? Nice to, nice to join you this afternoon. Yeah, not too bad at all. Yourself? Good, thank you. Good. Now, you're still keeping pretty busy. Like I know last week you had a, um, I guess, what, what is it called? A tour of the facility with some possible players? Yeah, well, this is a time of year where we do a lot of the uh, recruiting uh, process for, you know, subsequent seasons coming up. So we have uh, prospective student-athletes, or we call them recruits, on campus uh, visiting Prince George if they're out of town and uh, just getting them to know the facility and the the team. So it's been a really busy winter, uh, January through March, dealing with a lot of different recruits coming in. Well, yeah, and adding players. Like just recently, you added, well, let's start by saying you added, I guess, one of the uh, most highly coveted uh, keepers in B.C., yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had a really, really strong recruiting class that's committed to us so far, and a couple more. Um, you know, Logan Pierce is the goalkeeper you're speaking mm-hmm. of. He's from Campbell River. Um, great 12 student coming into there. With, you know, a great prospective goalkeeper, but but more importantly, a super kid who really fits with sort of um, you know you know the profile of what we're looking for as a student athlete and someone to come join the team. So now, is he um, is he somebody you've been keeping an eye on for the last couple of years and? Sort of, he was semi-committed before and just made it official a couple of weeks ago? No, he, well, he was someone that, uh, just through connections that I've had over time in the province, he's mm-hmm. someone that a former a former friend or a former goalkeeper coach of his uh, tipped me off of a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, he's been <clears throat> he's been doing his own process, looking at different schools around the country. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. we were on that list. And, and so he was really open to different schools and different options. But, uh, you know, speaking to him when he came up to, to the city, uh, into the school, he sort of fell along with the place in the program. So he's, um, you know, that was what really tipped the scales for him was just how we how he was treated when he came up here. So we we're really, really excited to have him uh, commit to us because he again is a top goalkeeper going forward for sure. And now, people who have followed UNBC soccer for a number of years might be having flashbacks next year to the women's team from a few years back, where they had the Hall twins, one in goal and one up front. Because you've got a couple of twins now lined up for next year as well. Yeah, we do. We have Isaac and Theo Tate out of Victoria. Um, you know, again, two, two very, uh, you know, very prominent players in youth soccer. Uh, funny enough, you know, Isaac being well known just for his his play down the left wing. His brother maybe less so, but it's mostly because he had a couple of injuries over the last couple of years that kept him sidelined, and so it may be a little bit of a secret uh, to a lot of coaches. So we're very fortunate uh, to have both of them join us, and uh, you know, not just players but they're they're great people and uh, great spirit together so we're excited to have them now was this one of those ones that happened so frequently with um brothers or sisters not necessarily even twins but it's pretty well accepted that the two of them are going to be going to the same place yeah it was really i really wasn't sure with these two because <laughs> because i asked them if they were a package deal and the answer was no um but and I, and I got the sense that they both had different interests originally. So, um, funny enough, uh, you know, I won't tell you which one, but the one I wasn't sure we were going to get committed to us 
first and then the other one was quick to follow. So I think in hindsight, they're very happy to be together, but I don't think it was 100% a package deal, but I think it definitely have, helps for sure. Yeah. So now, are you close to being finished with your recruiting for this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, we would, I mean, if it stopped today, I'm happy that we have. We have a, you know, a real good core of eight or nine kids coming in, uh, the ones you've mentioned, plus, uh, you know, plus several others, both from, you know, Vancouver, Victoria, um, Kamloops, you know, players from across the province right now. And, you know, in the past we've looked international, but this year I've stayed a, lo- a lot closer to home. So really happy with that. There are two more um, that have, <coughs> excuse me, have visited who uh, we're waiting on confirmation from them to commit. We're hoping they do. And, and if they do come in, you know, not only are we going to hopefully, you know, continue the success that we saw last year, but, you know, I think we're just making a real, real positive step for, uh, you know, the next five years because these are, these are good young players, but I think they're potentially really top players in the province. So I'm hoping we can uh, help them fulfill their potential. Yeah. Now, for people who may have forgotten, what was your record last year and how did you feel about the season? Uh, probably one of those people that have forgotten to be honest. Okay. <laughs> you know, but you know, it was it was you know we keep moving forward in terms of our uh, in terms of our performances. So last year was one of our best finishes ever. We were we finished third in, in the, the over uh, over challenging uh, Pacific Division in Canada West. We were we were tied on uh, sort of the record with TR uh, or the points with TRU, but we have an unbalanced schedule. So we actually played one extra game than them, so that put them in second. But uh, you know, we just had a, a top, a top, uh, a top year for our program. So, really happy with that, and, and hoping we can replicate it again next year. Okay. And now, how many players, assuming everybody who can comes back from that uh, from last season, how many do you have coming back? Yeah, that's where it's always tricky. You know, we have a we have a, a class of le- that's leaving us of probably eight or nine or ten players. Wow. But what what makes that more complicated is because when COVID happened, obviously um, players were here, but they did a year of school, but they didn't use a year of eligibility. And in, in university sport, you're allowed to play five years of uh, of soccer. You're mm-hmm. eligible for five years. Well, you have players that are graduating that have an extra year of eligibility. So we're in that process of, you know, looking at these players and saying, you know, are you going to come back to school? Are you going to come back and play? So, um, you know, if everyone comes back, I think might come back plus the recruits, we could be in the high 20s um, for our program, which is a really healthy number going forward. Yeah, and I guess, is there a point at which you would have too many players on the roster? Is that possible? Yeah, I think there is there is a point where you get there, but one of the one of the unique things about um, what we what really focus on is everyone talks about our season, which runs in the fall. But you know, we have a real lo- um, you know real developmental phase that happens over the winter, and mm-hmm. um, the more numbers we have in that winter phase, because we tend to lose our fifth years at that at that point in time as they go focus on just academics. Um, is we want to have strong numbers throughout the winter where we can run really high-level training environments and, and um, inter-squad exhibition events and things like that. So that, that, that 25 to 30 number is actually a really good number for that. And, um, you know, the other thing it does is we're a big believer in developmental players. So we'll bring a player in that maybe isn't ready in year one and two, but hopefully by three, four, and five they're playing. So, you know, some of them take a bit of time to develop as well. So the larger number, the better. We had a very small group in the off season, and, and it was positive in many ways, but a challenge in others. So I think the higher number suits us really well around the 28 number. So now, during the winter then, when you're, as you say, you're playing indoors and everything, do you occasionally invite or have players come in who are going to say their senior year in high school in Prince George and who are interested in being on the Timberwolves in the future? Yeah, so that's sort of the recruiting process. Um, you know, for us, our 
our strategy is to get them on campus in their grade 12 year, maybe their grade 11 year. Um, you know, we're allowed to, you know, we're, they're allowed to come in and visit or we're allowed to bring them in, um, you know, once every 365 mm-hmm. days um, on an, what they call an official visit. And I let them train with a team. And, you know, what that does is we get to see their level in relation to our team, but it allows them to get to know the, the personalities of our program and, and the players in our program. And I think that's a real a real key factor. So, yeah, all these kids that we've talked about, they've come up in their grade 12 year, and, and that's sort of what's pushed them over the edge to say, yes, I want to I want to commit to UMBC. Okay. Now, as you're going along, have you, at any point in the years that you've been at UMBC, have you kind of had to change your playing system based on who you got as recruits, or do you sort of recruit to the system? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of both in that. I mean, I think if you're so rigid in, in um, how you want to play and you don't have things that match that, you can catch yourself a little bit. But in general, um, I try to recruit for what we're looking for. So the type of person that we're looking for, the type of player that we're looking for, and that can change based on position for sure. But you know, we we definitely look at the character of the individual first. It's the absolute number one thing we look at. Do they get along with our teammates? Are they are they open to learning? Do they have a you know a, a good positive outlook? Are they positive with teammates? And that's something that we really really stand for there. Mm-hmm. And then you know, can they think the game the same way we do? And, and really, that's what we we want to do is sort of have kids that sort of see the game the same way and love to play and and enjoy practice because there's a lot of it up there. <laughs> now, knowing that all the other teams. In Canada West, in the same situation you are, where they probably don't know for sure who they've got coming back, who's going to be back for their fifth year and stuff. Is there a position that you're looking at right now with the Timberwolves and saying, this is a strong position for us this year? Like, this might be our strongest? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you look at the recruiting, it's who you, it's who you lose. Like, we lose mm-hmm. Cody Geisburst, for example, who's a fifth year, you know, center back for us. So when you look at a player that's playing at the defensive role like that, it's a, not just that you need a good player, but you need a, uh, you know, an experienced person with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of games under their belt. Now, you can't really replicate that with someone coming out of high school. So you're looking for someone that, you know, maybe has a bit more maturity coming out of high school. So that's where we're looking at there. The strength of our team still, um, you know, is we had a lot of core returners. We, of course, have Michael Hedman back for one more year, mm. who mm. led the league in goal scoring mm. last year. So, um, you know, we have a, we have a, a lot of good experience returning. We have some players that have been there for a couple of years uh, on the on the fringes of, of the playing roster, and now the young ones coming in. So, I, I'm excited about the group we have for next year. And now, I don't think the schedule is out yet, is it, for this upcoming season? It hasn't been 100% confirmed, but we, uh, in terms of dates and times, but we open uh, open late August, last week of August, against UBC uh, for a doubleheader. So it's a, uh, you know, we hit the ground running in that one. We're going to have to be uh, all hands on deck when we yeah, open up against UBC at home. Yeah. And in case people had forgotten uh, over the basketball season, where it was just simply the men and the women were always playing in the same place on the same weekend, that's not the same in soccer, is it? No, we tend to uh, have different schedules. So I think there's a couple dates where we're home back-to-back, but but really there's going to be university soccer almost every weekend this fall at Massage. So uh, for the soccer fans in town, always a chance to come out and see some some young people represent the city. Okay. Steve Simonson, UNBC men's soccer coach, thanks very much for bringing us up to date on what's been happening in the so-called off-season. I'm sure we'll be talking later. Great. Thanks, Al. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, so that brings us up to date on what's happening there. And Frank, what do you want to talk about now? We got a few minutes. 
Uh, well, we can talk about the Koi Cup, I think, is, is the main focus okay. of our discussion, but there's lots well, we've of... Only, we've only got about three or four minutes before our first break. All right. So uh, how about if we just... Why don't we talk about the games then? Yeah, the BC... The 2022 BC Winter Games were held this past weekend in Vernon. You need to give your calendar a shake, mister. No, I'm accurate. <laughs> you are. You are accurate. Yes. 2022 in 2023. Thank yes. you, COVID. Yes, because obviously they had to make that decision early last year and say, no, we can't hold the games. We can't guarantee that we can hold them, so we won't. We got lucky in Prince George. We were able to host the summer games on schedule. Absolutely. It, uh, I, I'm not sure what the differentiation was, but uh, I'm just glad for Vernon's sake that they didn't put all that work into acquiring sponsors, building a volunteer team, because mm-hmm. it takes a good thousand volunteers, or so, and, and only for nothing. Yeah. So they did get to pull that off, and from what I heard, great response yes. there in, in Vernon. The fans were there in numbers, the volunteers were amazing, the organization was strong. Yeah, and now I was looking up results. For Prince George. Boy, is it ever a pain in the butt to use that website. I got to say, in the modern time, you need to do better job there, BC Games Society. You can type in Prince George into the city, and that's great. And then you click, okay, just give me all the Prince George. No, you you have to go through each sport individually. And it's not just as easy as that either. It really does get... Um, nebulous after no. that. I was just on the on my phone doing that yeah. right now, and I got nowhere. It was just well, no. frustrating. First sport I went to, I can't remember for sure which one it was. It was alphabetical, so it might have been something like archery. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And I asked for Prince George in archery, and the first two things that came up were teams, because they always put the teams at the top of the list. And the teams were from Zone 1. We're in Zone 8. So I was kind of going... Okay, does that mean they are listing every single person who participated in the archery and not taking? So I checked, because you can click on the team thing, and it'll show you who was on that team. And the one team, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was like Vancouver, Langley, Maple Ridge, and one person from Prince George. So that's why it's probably a student or somebody attending an academy down there who's from Prince George, but competes for that zone is what I would guess. Yeah. Or it may have been a put together team because they may have that zone may not have had a team, but they wanted to have a team just to make the numbers balance out or something, which I've heard of happening before. Mm. And so these people put together their team and ended up, I don't even know if they won a medal or not, but they were listed as a team. Uh, shout out to the uh, Zone 8 Ringette team who did win a medal. Hey! They picked up a bronze, and yeah. uh, it's been years and years since Zone 8 has medaled in Ringette, mm-hmm. even though we do have some very significant oh. Ringette players yes. here. Uh, so anyway, they got rewarded, and uh, and uh, that, that Zone team won the bronze, and congratulations mm-hmm. to them. Well done. And you were saying earlier, most of the team is from Prince George, but there are a couple who aren't. Right, as is the case for uh, most team sports. Yeah. The zone pulls together the best it can. It's sort and of an all-star team. It is but, an all-star team, yeah. absolutely. But in this particular case, as is the case for most Zone 8 teams, it's mostly Prince George kids. Yeah. And there were two Quinnell kids on it as well. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ivy Sinkinson and Avery Cassidy were on that team from Quinnell and mm-hmm. uh, did very well. And the whole zone team should celebrate because oh. uh, Ringette is... One of those sports that's on a bit of a, uh, uh, I won't say the comeback trail. I think it's actually going to break ground and, and go beyond what it ever has been before. Yeah. Now that COVID's over, it can sort of 
start to gather itself up again. And male players have discovered yes. ringette too. Yes. It's although it mimics hockey in a lot of visual ways, yeah. it is an entirely different sport. Oh yeah. Like you, Bobby Orr would not have been a good ringette player. I think not. No. Well, uh, he probably would yeah, have actually, been. He might have been. He would have adapted to the game. Yeah. But you're not allowed to carry the ring across either blue line. And there are passing rules as yes. well involved. So, uh, you know, Adam Oates would have been an amazing ringette player, oh, yeah. I'm thinking. Paul Coffey would have been a – Gretzky yeah. and Curry would have been great yes. ringette players. And again, if I remember correctly, unless they've they, – they always change the rules on sports just when they're starting to figure them out. But when I was covering ringette, ringette especially with the uh, free press, um, players were restricted to zones for the most part. Like if you were a defenseman, you could not go across the other team's blue line. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I don't know sure if that's still that. in effect or not. And the same wingers could not come back into their own defensive zone. The center, of course, could cover the entire ice. But it, Actually, I'm going to mention the Koi Cup here for a second. Yeah. We'll talk about that more in depth later. Yeah. But uh, during the Koi Cup tournament, during the final two mm-hmm. playoff games in that tournament, yeah. the intermission entertainment in the first intermission was... On both games, what? a ringette demonstration. Okay. Yeah. So they were using their uh, enormous crowds at yes. West Fraser Center there to uh, actually demonstrate another ice sport. Okay. One other quick note before we go to our first break, because we were talking about the 2022 BC Winter Games. The 2024 Winter Games are going to be held where, Frank? Quinnell. Yes. Those same uh, same uh, players on, on the ringette team. I think one of them might be eligible to be coming back again. Oh, okay. It's going to be interesting this year. There's going to be some differences because they played with the age right. ramifications to allow for this <sighs> year. By, the and there's that, only yeah. one year now to the next yes. one. So it's going to be a sprint for the organizers. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some overlap of av- athletes. Yeah. And the summer games in 2024 will be in Maple Ridge. No big surprise here, because Maple Ridge was scheduled to host them in 2020 ah, yes, and lost so out due to back. COVID, and that's what everybody seems to be doing. So I'm Anytime hoping, the organization has a chance, they will give you the one you lost because of COVID. Well, I'm sure hoping that Larry Walker gets to throw out a pitch there at the baseball section of the, oh. uh, of the summer games. Yeah. Okay, we are going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back with more on Post to Post. Join us each week for Music and the Spoken Word, featuring the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, the longest-running, continuous weekly network broadcast in the world, celebrating over 90 years on the air. Each episode features modern and traditional arrangements of spiritual, patriotic, classical, and contemporary music, and a timely, inspiring message. Music and the Spoken Word with the Tabernacle Choir. Now heard Sunday mornings at 8 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Prince George Potters Guild is holding a throwing and design boot camp April 21st to 23rd. Led by Julie McKinnon, the camp will focus on developing skills, throwing, design, and a critical eye. Workshop fee is $450. Registration and more details are available through the Potters Guild Classes page under Programs at Studio2880.com. The Prince George Potters Guild Throwing and Design Boot Camp, April 21st to 23rd at Studio 2880. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Winds from the southeast at 20 this afternoon, a high of 8. Partly cloudy tonight. Southeast winds continuing, a low of 0. For Thursday, mainly cloudy. Winds southeast 30 gusting to 50 and a high of 10. (laughs) Okay. 
I, I've got to admit, I love You Are So Beautiful by Joe Cocker. I, I, I remember it's I not the best intro. thing for a sports show. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most upbeat song. You may want to switch that out. Yes, at some point. Maybe well, some Motley Crue or something. I, I don't have too much say in it. I just, if the song has a long enough intro that's already programmed, I leave it in. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the Koi Cup before the break. Holy cow. And by golly, that, that was your excuse for not being here last week. That's right. I, was, I spent five there. days in Quinell yes. to, uh, to cover the Koi Cup for yeah. the uh, Quinell Observer. Yeah. And wow, what mm. a good time. Yeah. Holy cow. The city came alive for that tournament. And uh, that was a lot of fun to be part of, especially at the end, because, and this is rare, there's no guarantees that this no. is going to happen, but the home team made the finals. Yes. So the place was just rocking. Largest yeah. fan base, largest audience to ever watch a, a hockey game of any kind in Quinell. Wow. And again, we were mentioning this last week, Reg and I, the tournament got off to a sort of an unfortunate start, if Devastating you will. Devastating start. Yeah, it was because Morton Johnston. one of the teams had to pull out Penticton Silver Bullets because one of their players was killed in an automobile incident. Yeah, Morton Johnston before. was on his way to be, he's the assistant coach oh. of the uh, Princeton team, which is oh. just outside of Penticton yeah. there. So he was off to, in uh, the KIJHL, mm -hmm. their, uh, their playoff um, game. And uh, he, he did not make the game because uh, a car crash took his life. And he was so well known mm -hmm. in the hockey world in Penticton that the, the players, he used to be a member of the Silver Bullets and yeah, was they just close said, with all no. of them. They just couldn't do no. it. It was a gut punch. And it was a gut punch throughout the hockey community because Morton used to play also for the Quinell mm. Kangaroos. So yes. He was uh, he was known by one and all at that tournament. It was just a pall that was thrown over the entire beginning. Mm -hmm. But by by luck, one player had come early from Penticton to be at the tournament, and so during the opening ceremonies, that player was able to represent the team mm -hmm. and uh, and yeah. and sort of be there for uh, that emotional outpouring. Yeah. And a lot of money was raised during the tournament right. too, because they had to shrink the tournament, of course. Yes. So instead of two games a day, they cut it down to one game a day and so what are you going to do with the fan with the fans right people yeah. bought all those tickets what they offered was that you could get your money back yes. for for half that or you could just leave it and that amount would be donated to the morton johnston family wow and from what i understand most if not all tickets mm -hmm. were just left alone I to be imagine. that donation yep and they were also fundraising throughout the tournament as well. The 50-50s were, were part of uh, donating to Morton Johnston's family. So it's uh, it's quite a an outpouring within okay. the hockey community. Well, again, that's something we've seen in so many sports over the years, is how the sport is a community. Yeah. It's not just the hockey in a community. The game is a community. Yeah, and when you look at the volunteer base for an event like that, oh. and we've seen it here for the, yes. the most recently the BC Summer Games, but well, you, you see it also for like the the, the World Women's Curling yes. Tournament that we hosted, all these... Eventually the, we hosted. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it becomes... The sport becomes irrelevant almost yeah. to a lot of the dynamic of the event. It's yeah. really about community building and about economic spin-off and things like mm -hmm. that and so when you see the volunteer fire department chiefs oh. rallying together to 
you know, be ticket takers at the door and stuff yeah. like that. You, you really get a sense that any given sport can be much more than itself. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that the Kangaroos made the final. And that is the name of the Quin- Quinell team, if no one knows. It's uh, the Quinell Kangaroos. From many years ago, the old Caribou Hockey League. Yeah, right. Well, they go back. Oh, gosh, I can't. Remember, they, let's put it this way. In Prince George terms, they go back, I would say, about as far as the, uh, Prince the George Mohawks. Mohawks yes. right? They used to fight it out to, oh. f- to win the Koi Cup Sometimes back in, in the day. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> well, who was it? It was the Kangaroos, the Mohawks, Williams Lake Stampeders. The Stampeders, and they still exist. Yeah, and the Vanderhoof Bears. Yes. Now, Vanderhoof also has a team. They're called the North Stars now. Okay. But uh, Vanderhoof and Quinnell have significant Prince George components to their teams. Okay. There's a lot of players that yeah. because we don't have a team, no, we don't, have and we shouldn't have anymore. a team, no. right? It, it's just we've got too much other hockey yeah. going on, I think, to support uh, a double A senior adult team. Yeah, and why? And so and, those players go down. So we had we had Justin Lowe and Brian Albee and and uh, Wright mm-hmm. in the Alex Wright playing yeah. net, and just so many. Uh, Chase Astorino was on the team, but yeah. was injured, so he couldn't play. But he was there. And, yeah. And uh, the referees, too. There was a lot of uh, referee content from Prince George. It was down there. Well, of course, there. They're, they're neutral. Uh, right. If anything, they I hate... I actually enjoy the referee. I thought, if anything, they hate Quinnell, so... <laughs> yeah, no one can say there's a hometown favorite there. No. Yeah, so, so uh, the yeah, final. the officiating was good. And there was the ruse in the finals against uh, against the Terrace River Kings, who oh. are Central Interior Hockey League yeah. rivals. Yes. And the other team involved was the Dawson Creek Canucks, who were the three-time... <sighs> Over five straight years, if that makes any sense, with COVID involved, yes, uh, they were the defending champions, and were looking to get that dynasty stamp, but they did not. Okay, so who won the final? In the finals, it was the Quinell Kangaroos winning their their uh, record twelfth Wow Koi Cup. They won seven in a row at one point. Unbelievable. Yeah. But uh, they hadn't won in 25 years. And uh, so now they're back in the, win, yeah. in the the Koi Cup win column. They they won the final game 9-2, to two, which was a bit shocking considering yeah. how strong Terrace had been yeah. throughout the playoffs. They took, uh, they took Quinnell to overtime twice in the playoff rounds to get to the Koi Cup yeah. tournament. And uh, they just didn't have the horses in the end. What happened? Because they would have played each other in the Koi Cup as well, right? In the they did. Yeah, it was one of those situations because Quinell yeah. was the host. They got an automatic buy, but they <sighs> refused to let that be a factor. Yeah. Really, they no. still won their way into yeah. the Koi Cup, which allowed the second place team, Terrace, yeah. to come through. But Terrace lost out in the, those playoff rounds, but just by a, just yeah. a, an eyelash. And uh, then got blown away in that final game. Quinnell just wanted it bad. Wow. So now, with three teams then, how did they do the Koi Cup? Did each of them just play two games against the other two teams in sort of the, a very small round robin? It was a very small round robin. Each team played each other. Right. Twice. Uh, once, once, sorry, once. Yeah. And then the first place team got a bye. To the final. The second bottom two teams played off, and that was Dawson Creek against... Terrace. Uh, Terrace. Yeah. Terrace won that game. Dawson Creek, we thought was going to be the team to yeah. beat. And they, uh, they just did, they were not really a factor in any of the games they played. They lost handily wow. each time. And then, so that set up Terrace and, uh, Quinnell in the finals. Okay. That brings us up to date on what happened at the Koi Cup last week down in Quinnell. We are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be heading back out to the city fields on Post to Post. 
The city of Prince George invites you to pitch in and to give the city a classic post-winter tidy-up during the annual spring cleanup Sunday, April 30th. Get together with a group of friends and sign up on the city of Prince George website to clean up your neighborhood, community park, schoolyard, or business area between 10 and 3. To register, fill out the online form. Registered groups will receive free garbage bags and gloves for the annual spring cleanup Sunday, April 30th. The next Climate Science Informal Seminar is at noon Thursday. Andrew Pantel of Pantel Environmental Consulting will be presenting Forage and Water Resiliency, a planning tool for range management. The seminar is open to the public and free to attend. Presented in part by CMOS, BC, Interior and Yukon, Forage and Water Resiliency with Andrew Pantel. The next Climate Science Informal Seminar, noon Thursday in room 10-1504 at UNBC. A song that does perhaps describe uh, post to post a little bit, daytime, nighttime, because we're on the daytime right now, but it's replayed this evening in the nighttime. Well, handy. Yes. Uh, Alan Wishart, Frank Peebles back. And we are now, as I said, going to be, go- well, we're not quite ready to go onto the fields, I don't think, talking with Robin McConkey from the city. And Robin, the snow is disappearing, but not that fast, right? That's right. Hi, Alan. Hi, Frank. I hope you guys are doing well. We are uh, working with a bit of a later spring. Yes. <laughs> We're, uh, sport fields generally open early May and, and stay open until the end of September. But opening and closing dates for the season, they're very carefully considered and decided by our dedicated staff. Mm-hmm. So when the fields are clear of snow and frost, when they're dry, uh, when they're safe to play is kind of when we uh, the guys' operations crews walk them and make sure that all of those criteria are met to make sure the turf is safe and we're able to open up to for play. Okay, now, uh, after the snow is off the field, about how long does it take before they are ready to go? You know what? It varies in uh, the different parts of town, actually, and it also um, depends on if it's clay, if it's silt. So if the ground holds moisture, mm-hmm. um, sometimes, like I, I know up on the heart, um, the snow mm-hmm. will go be around for an additional week or two and then it's actually quite wet um whereas downtown some of the fields um especially at carrie jane gray or freeman park they dry out quite quickly um so those fields often open up a bit earlier now have you already started getting calls from people associated with the different leagues saying when are they going to be ready when are they going to be ready (laughs) absolutely i mean our season is so short and we have such an enthusiastic uh sport strong sport community so we have a lot of uh, we have a good relationship with a lot of our user groups so prince george youth baseball youth soccer our adult uh, slow pitch leagues um where we have kind of a really good open communication back and forth um and most people are really reasonable they live in prince george and they know uh if snow's on and there's water pooling um they can't get on the turf um so they you know they're a bit more patient do any of them volunteer to bring out a hair dryer or something to help (laughs) yeah we've had all sorts of people we can bring our pumps and get the water off and (laughs) you know um what what can we do to get those fields drier and and unfortunately we're just you know we're at the the mercy of mother nature 
I was having uh, fantasies about snow plows or or some kind of snow blower that was big enough to blow it right off those fields so that they could dry out quicker. I know um, some of our more enthusiastic groups have even tried to go out and shovel the snow off their fields so they can get on there sooner. Wow. <laughs> and it really isn't the melt that's the issue, like you were saying. It's the water table that really is the uh, the killer because the grass grows and it looks great and one little rain and suddenly you got an inch of water on the field and the families get mad that they can't go out and they paid their money and they still can't play. Absolutely. And, and it's nice for, for those that kind of have that understanding because really it's for the benefit of the whole season. If you go out when the fields are wet and, you know, you get ruts in them, those sometimes can take all season to to repair themselves. And, I mean, so you want the fields to be safe for the players. You don't want ruts and holes in your turf when you're a soccer player and you're going to trip in a hole. You want to make sure that it's dry and, and ready to play. Now, what about bookings? I think when we were talking earlier, um, setting the interview up, you were saying you've been taking bookings for this upcoming field season since last year. Yeah, you bet. Our fields are open. Um, people can go. All of our information is online at princegeorge.ca slash parkbookings. Um, and we have sport fields listed on there. So a lot of our sport fields um, are entered into rental agreements for so people will go to youth soccer to register or youth baseball or Nachaco slow pitch. But if people want to just, you know, rent a field for a season of, of soccer, they can go to princegeorge.ca um, slash parkbookings, and we are able to book. Um, sport fields. We also booked the school district 57 sport field after school. So we have some soccer groups that want or rugby groups that want to play at DP Todd. We're able to book those um, fields for them. Now, can people book just a specific date? Like if, say, they're having a family reunion one weekend and they think, okay, we're all soccer fans, let's maybe see if we can book one of the fields just for Saturday and Sunday or even just Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all we want to make sure all of those opportunities are available to our community. And whether people want to book for one day or a season, we welcome uh, all community use. Okay. Now, another question that I thought of, because this just came up a few years ago, technically, is Massage Place on a different schedule for when it opens? Because it doesn't have grass. Yeah, it has a synthetic turf that allows it to be open a little bit sooner. Um, Massachusetts, I don't know if any of you've driven by it, still actually under quite a bit of snow. We are we're we're keeping a close eye on it, but generally once it gets a crack, um, it it actually seems to go quite quick. Once that sun can kind of get that um, that snow going it can it can go quite quickly and yes that synthetic turf field is available usually three to four weeks before a lot of our grass fields and now is is the track at massage place usually open even before that you know what? They generally are, go at the same time. Okay. Um, so generally, usually, honestly, like last year, we opened at April first. So we are behind. We're we're st- we're, we're not even giving a date. We're mm-hmm. closely monitoring it. It's not open um, for for right now. We're hoping mid April. Uh, it's just completely weather dependent. Just tell people it'll be open for Canada Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. You know what? That's a. I, I think I, I I can guarantee it'll be open for Canada Day. <laughs> okay. Speaking of snow, um, the McConkie family had uh, quite a year on the uh, cross-country ski trails, did they not? We sure did, Frank. Yeah, my boys did great. They both uh, were at um, Nationals, and my middle son, Tanner, was at um, 
BC Winter Games and had just the best time, best experience. Outstanding. Okay. Congratulations, McConkies. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> Robin McConkie with the City of Prince George bringing us up to date on what's happening on the fields. Thanks very much, Robin, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Bye. Okay, so... She did seem to think that my July 1st Canada Day was a reasonable number to look at. In terms of, of, if anything, it'll be a pleasant surprise when you say we're actually going to be open before that. Hmm, Very good. The points that she was making about the uh, AstroTurf has come up in in baseball discussions, too, because Mm. uh, and and some also some community multi-use field discussions, because... um, there's a possibility of even putting infields in mm. in some of the the uh, right. baseball fields that are uh, that are yeah. synthetic turf now and blending it with the mm. outer turf. It's expensive, but then the upkeep is less after that. Yeah. It's not as and you don't have to worry about water so at no. all during the, the the summer. But it does come with downsides too. So it hasn't been done yet. It's just no. been part of the discussion. And again, the other thing there is, I would think it would be the same as what she was saying about Massage Place. The track might be ready to go before the field, but they're going to open at the same time probably. Here, you've got a synthetic infield. That's great. Where do your outfielders go during your practices? Right. Yeah. Yeah, The 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 benefit would really more be in the uh, drainage during rain events and throughout the summer. Yeah. It never rained in Prince George, Frank. Where did you get that from? Wow. Last year was just Kitten Fitz trying to get it. We oh. had so many in, in baseball. We had so many families, coaches even, who yeah. were just furious that we called off games. Yeah. And uh, I know that uh, soccer and fastball had the same issues. Mm-hmm. We were in contact with each other at times going, are you going on the fields today? No, we're not. Because it just destroys turf. And like Robin pointed out, if you put even oh. a, a quarter of an inch of a divot yeah. in those fields and some some kid is running to get the ball and trips, yeah. that's it. Broken leg over what? Over because you couldn't wait a day in the yeah. rain? I remember a couple of years ago when we were covering the uh, Senior Men's Fastball League. I went over there early one day and was in touch with Reg back at the station because it had been raining most of the day. And he said, do you think they're going to play or are you, are you going to be coming back here with the equipment and we're just going to have to you know, figure something out here? I said, well, given that right now first base is floating. Yes. <laughs> And we had that. It wasn't just wet. We had flotation issues last year. It was just awful. Yeah. Okay, we are going to take another quick break. When we come back, I think we're probably going to talk some local hockey on Post to Post. The British Columbia Assembly of First Nations and Trust Canada are partnering to build a First Nations Carbon Toolkit website. The group is seeking a youth artist to design a logo for the website. If you are a First Nations artist under 30 years of age, send in a logo that you feel represents Indigenous-led conservation, which centers community stewardship and keeps carbon out of the atmosphere. One winning designer will be awarded $5,000. Full details are available through carbontoolkit.org. Submission deadline is April 15th. Two Rivers Gallery is thrilled to present Transition, a one-of-a-kind art installation by Jose Luis Torres. Torres traveled all the way from Quebec City to create work especially for the gallery, which explores his perspective on the experience of relocation. 
Stop by and you'll find yourself surrounded by familiar domestic items calling into question things many of us take for granted. Transition from Quebec-based artist Jose Luis Torres on through Sunday at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today. Winds from the southeast at 20 this afternoon, a high of 8. Partly cloudy tonight. Southeast winds continuing, a low of 0. For Thursday, mainly cloudy. Winds southeast 30 gusting to 50 and a high of 10. That was a little bit more up-tempo introduction to a segment. Absolutely. Now, uh, Cougars and the Spruce Kings. Up-tempo. Holy, they need to both pick it up, Yes, eh? both into the playoffs. Unfortunately, so far in the first week, well, not even the first week, really, because they started on Friday. But uh, Spruce Kings, home tonight, and they need... Some support. They need to win this. It's not yes. a not a theory. They've got to win. Yeah, this is the our Baxter to the wall. There's All no the cliches. We're running in. out of cliches. <laughs> <laughs> they are down three games to none to Salmon Arm after being tied with them in the regular season for points and losing out because Salmon Arm won the regular season series four games to three. So that's how close they were in they the regular season. But so far in the playoffs, in Salmon Arm. Lost two to one on Friday. Lost six to three on Saturday. Lost six two here last night. So they play seven o'clock tonight at Copar, and everybody get out and support them. I mean, the numbers have been good. I think I was looking at it. I believe they had like fourteen hundred people out last night, which for a midweek game in Prince George is not bad at all. That's a great crowd yes. at, at the Coliseum. That's yeah. that's a that's Copar noise. Yes, uh, and I'm going to be a confident on this one. Game five will be Friday in Salmon Arm. Game six will be Sunday back here. Game seven will be on Tuesday in Salmon Arm. I'm being positive. Absolutely. There's going to be some driving going on here because we are going to do some winning. Yes. Now, there are a couple of other series that have a possibility of wrapping up tonight. One in the interior, no surprise. Penticton, the team that only lost, I think, like three games all year, up 3-0 on trail, playing tonight so they could wrap that one up. Uh, Alberni Valley in the Coastal Conference is up 3-0 in Victoria. They can wrap it up tonight. Surrey is up three games to one on Powell River, but they don't play until tomorrow. So, um, and the other thing I found interesting was those two, t- those two series have already played four games each. That's a tight schedule. It is. That is. They're yeah. closer together, though. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. yeah. We do have a disadvantage up here. There's no doubt about yes. it. Doesn't matter what league you're in, Prince George no. has that dis- disadvantage. Now the other two interior conference uh, playoff series are both two to one. Wenatchee up two games to one on Cranbrook. Again, that's about the closest Wenatchee could have hoped for. I think in terms of who they could play. Yeah, pretty much. And West Kelowna up two games to one on Vernon. And again, pretty close. Uh, on the coastal conference. Um, Chilliwack is up two games to one on Coquitlam, and Nanaimo and Langley are tied at two. So neither none of those series can wrap up in their next game. So Good. Yes. I like a playoff that goes long. Yes. Good for the fans. Yeah. It's good for the fans. Of course, if you're on the playoff team that's looking at playing one of those guys, you don't mind wrapping yours up in four and having them go seven so they wear each other out. I'm going to uh, throw out a, a congratulations to uh, Ryan House, Prince George's uh, hockey star, mm. 
Uh, he's a coach now. Yeah. And uh, it just crossed my desk the other day that uh, I don't even know the name of the league, but uh, there's an independent league, and he uh, is a coach in that league huh? with the Hinton Timberwolves just across the border there, by yep. just past Jasper. Yep. And uh, they just won their uh, their cup. So wow. uh, congratulations. Yep. He continues his tradition of winning. Yes. Now let's uh, let's quickly go to the Cougars. Absolutely. Yes. They are by no means out of their series, even no. though they're down. Although a win tonight in Tri-City would help. It, it, you got to win. Well, you got to win. Yeah. They, they lost home ice advantage to Tri-City on Friday night when they lost 6-4 to four at CN Center. They won 2-1 to one in overtime on Saturday. Jackson Weeb got the winner just about five minutes in. Then they went to Tri-City last night and lost 4-2. to two. So they're down two games to one. They play tonight and Friday in Tri-City. And then Game 6, if necessary, and it will be, and Game 7 will both be up here. Game 6 on Sunday, Game 7 is on Tuesday. I think some of the other conference, some of the other playoffs, I believe, are going with the same as the BCHL, 2-2-1-1-1. But here they thought Prince George to Tri-City, that's a long ways to travel. I don't know so why every... Unless you're in the same general region like the Lower yeah. Mainland or something, you really should do yeah. the, uh, the 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 clustered games, at the three clustered at the end. Yeah. Uh, Seattle up three games to none in Kelowna, and they could wrap that one up tonight. That's not a surprise because Seattle was tops in the Western Conference overall. Um, Kamloops is up 3 nothing on Vancouver. And the surprise there might be not so much that Kamloops is up 3 nothing, but the scores, 8 nothing, 6-1, 5 nothing. Yeah, like, and, and I really am surprised. I yeah. thought that uh, Vancouver would oh. uh, would be in that series a yep. lot more than it is. No, and the other Western Conference uh, series is also three games to none. Portland up three games to none on Everett. Oh, sorry, Kamloops and Vancouver play on Thursday. Portland and Everett play on Friday. So you've got possible series-ending games tonight, tomorrow, and Friday in the Western Conference. In the Eastern Conference, Winnipeg could wrap up their series against Medicine Hat tonight. They're up three games to none. Moose Jaw up three games to none against Lethbridge. The other two series, Red Deer up two games to one against Calgary. And Regina up two games to one against Saskatoon. And in three games, I believe Connor Bedard has like 11 points. Five goals already. I mean... And he's just uh, making uh, making justifications out of oh. uh, his refusal for trade or, yes. or whatever circumstance happened there yeah, because they did have... indeed make the playoffs. People yep. were saying they weren't going to, but they did. Yeah, I think they qualified sixth actually as well. So they didn't just sneak in at the last minute. It was what it looked like partway through the season. It looked like they might get in by the yeah, skin of their right. nose. That's right. It looked like they weren't going to make it. And then it looked yes. like they might make it. And then they actually did all yes. right. Yes. Uh, one thing I did look up. Uh, Reg asked me to do this actually was the Cougars versus the US division this year oh because we knew that they actually, actually played not paid fairly attention to that we actually knew they played fairly sense. well against BC yeah for the most part against the against the US division they didn't do that badly nine wins and 11 losses uh, two of the wins were either shootouts or overtimes one of the losses was extra time so really a coin toss yes so not that far off so hmm. again them being down three game or two games to one to Tri-City Maybe a bit of a surprise, but still, these were the teams that were four and five in the regular season again. Yeah, those middle core teams, oh. anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, and we know how explosive the Cougars oh, are offensively, yes. and we know how strong their goaltending is. Yes. So uh, as long as they can dial in the defense, and they have been, these haven't been high scoring no, games. No. The, the the defense has been essentially working. Yeah. But uh, they just need to put that puck in the net One. slightly more often. Yes. Well, more often than Tri City. That's the key. Right. It doesn't matter how often you put it in, as long as it's one more than the other team. <laughs> yes. One other thing that came out of the WHL today is they announced the divisional nominees for Coach of the Year. Oh, yes. Mark Lamb. Mark Lamb. Coach and general manager of the Prince George Cougars is in the running for the WHL Coach of the Year. Yeah, he's believe, the nominee I, for, the, uh, the, for the division. Yeah, I believe those announcements, the... the Winners will be announced basically at the end of the month. And I think they do it the same way as um, Major League Baseball does, where they kind of announce one each day. Yeah, yeah. So so they spread it out a bit. We are going to take another quick break and be back with more on Post to Post. Get acquainted with your Arts North Digital Center, the community tech resource facility, by taking in an upcoming orientation session and learn how the space can help you with your creative tech needs. See what's available, how to use the equipment, and enjoy the creative atmosphere. Sessions for the Photography Bay and Graphics Design Studio are set for noon, April 11th and 18th, respectively, with tours of those and the Podcast Center available Saturday, April 15th. To sign up for this free orientation session, email arts at studio2880.com. If you're interested in your family history, drop by the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library on Thursdays from 12.30 to 1.30 for the Genealogy Club. It's a free drop-in club where you can make use of the library's genealogy collection and online resources and talk to other family researchers. Experts with experience in Métis and First Nations genealogical research are also available to chat with. The Genealogy Club, Thursdays from 12.30 to 1.30 at the downtown branch of the Prince George Public Library. are back, Alan Wishart, Frank Peebles on Post to Post, and we've got a few things to wrap up with. Uh, I just want to get this one in quickly. Uh, Prince George had a blind curling team who won the BC title in Prince George a few weeks ago. Uh, the skip is Eric Rosen. The third is Russell Gervais. Um, the lead is Terry Pipke, and then they have a couple of sighted players on the team as well. Leona Gervais is the sweeper, designated sweeper. And Jack Nyland is the second and the coach. Now, as I say, they won the BC title. They went to Winnipeg for the Western Canadians recently. They finished in a three-way tie for first. Wow. But, of course, what they do, because... Like how do you break ties I, in curling? Well, there are ways to do it. You have tiebreaker games. But I guess they thought a three-way tie, no. So they had a system set up as to, who was, who, how, as to how you would break the tie to start with. And they just used that. And unfortunately, Prince George ended up finishing third on the hmm. tiebreaker. But I think their figuring was probably they had X number, they had X amount of time scheduled for playing the games. And a tiebreaker, especially three teams, you need at least two more games. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's yeah. asking a lot. Yeah, and they can't both be on the ice at the same time, There's always statistical ways of, yes. uh, you know. Yeah, like in the yeah. World Baseball Classic. Just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Congratulations, Jared. Yes. And by the way, quick note on that before I get to the thing about the World Baseball Club. Actually, no, I'll talk about that first because it's the tiebreaker. Pool A, all five of the teams finished at 2-2. Two and two. 
in the round robin. Yeah, isn't that, they had to go. They so then you got to go head to head record, well, well, and you got to go to help. runs for and against two and, and two. Yeah, and they had they they actually and what, strikeouts up, maybe. I don't know what uh, you. They got down to I believe it was the ratio of runs allowed per outs. <laughs> well, no, they had to do it that way. Because, A, they wanted to emphasize the defensive thing, so teams weren't trying to pile up the score. Mm-hmm. But you had to do it by runs allowed because you had mercy rules. Oh, Some so, teams right. played nine inning games. Some teams played seven. So you couldn't do it on how many runs you allowed per game. Right, because normally yeah. 27 outs is for both game, teams yeah. all the time. No. But not, in, not no. in that particular scenario because no. of the mercy rule. Yeah. But uh, so they had that, and um, Jared Young, of course, opening the season with the Iowa Cubs, the AAA uh, affiliate of yep. the Chicago Cubs. Uh, they're three and zero. He's actually only played in one of the games. He might still be getting back into the swing of things with them, if you will, literally, after being at the World Baseball Classic. But he went one for three. Uh, he got he's had a walk, and he drove in three runs. So Jeez. I was going to I was going to look back at the box score. So I was thinking, okay, that's kind of interesting. He hasn't scored any runs. But I was thinking he's only had one hit, a single, obviously, because he's but not been extra. How many at bats? Three. Three at bats, one single, and a walk. And a walk. Yeah. So if it was a bases loaded walk, he gets the RBI. Yeah. And then maybe a single with two guys on. They both came in. Absolutely. The other easily, thing, yeah. I wanted to go back, possibly check the box scores if I could. He may have had a sacrifice fly in the game as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And that doesn't no. count as an at bat. The other thing that was interesting, though. He played third base or in that game. Or by a pitch. Yeah, he played third base in that game. He's a utility player. Oh, he is. Yeah, he can go anywhere. Yeah, but in the World Baseball Classic, he was mainly playing the outfield. He DH'd one game, and he came in and played a few innings at first base. Yeah, he plays Freddie first Freeman base a lot. Hurt. Yeah. And isn't that cool that you're oh. you're spelling off Freddie Freeman? Yes. Yeah, of course, he left. And he's naturally a second age. baseman, Jerry. Yeah, I know. Is, yeah. That's where he basically played coming up. You know, that's where we saw him a few years ago now in the Senior Men's Baseball League. Yeah. With well, his height and range, though, oh, he really is an, an advantage for him to play anywhere. He's a, a yes. real uh, Ben Zobrist kind of player that way. Yeah. Now, what were we talking about just before that? Um, baseball. Oh, um, minor uh, baseball. Minor baseball. What's happening yes. there? Like obviously, you guys are some of the ones who are taking your hair dryers out and going out <laughs> to the fields. And yeah, for those who don't know, I'm on the on the uh, association for yeah. uh, Prince George Youth Baseball, and uh, yeah, we are uh, always at this time mm-hmm. of year watching <laughs> every inch of snow that melts yeah. per day. Yeah, and and then we have to watch the water tables as well. And, yes, uh, you, like we've got tanks in the ground oh. and we've got pumps ready, and then, because the slightest rain event, if the oh. water table still high will set back four six eight fields that we have (laughs) depending on where the game is (laughs) for you know weeks and the sun is shining the grass is green everyone's like why are you not letting people on the field yeah because the water is such an issue yeah do you know why the uh, grass is green because there's a lot of water in the (laughs) surf right now (laughs) i will say though that uh more players than last year are excited about the start our registration numbers are uh, because we're coming back from covid like everybody We uh, we were around 650 players before COVID, yes, and uh, on a roll, and then yeah. COVID hit, mm-hmm. and that really struck us down. Yeah, so we were just over 400 last year, which was our first full year yes. back. And uh, this year, I know for a fact we're over 425, and I hadn't checked in with the registrar in the last yeah. week and a half or so. So uh, we, we, it's up from there, no yeah. doubt. And and I believe the registration is now cut off. But for the, we sometimes there's a hole to fill here and there in, in certain age divisions. So yeah. if you're interested in playing, 
I would recommend getting a hold of the registrar by email, but don't, be, don't expecting be expecting yes. that uh, you'll, you'll be in. Yeah. But uh, boy, we're sure excited about the tra- trajectory of baseball. Yeah, I had a feeling the registrations might be up because on Facebook recently, I've noticed a number of uh, postings. I think it's from Kyle Anderson. Yeah. We need umpires. Yes. We need more umpires. Absolutely. Kyle Anderson I mean, they is always our, do. Our, our head of umpires. That's- and our our league president this year, oh. and uh, so that's great because he's got a real handle on the need for umpires, yes. right? As we make the schedule, it uh, there's so much that it's a real chess match in mm-hmm. how to allocate umpires, and the only real antidote to big problems is make sure we have a lot. Yes. So if you are over the age of twelve. <laughs> just come out and do it. It doesn't matter if you're oh. 70 years old and haven't played in, in decades or you've never played at all. Frank, why are you looking at me? Come on. <laughs> why are you looking at me like you that? You know, I hadn't thought of you as an umpire. Now suddenly I won't be able to get it out of my mind. <laughs> I think Reg Fair is, uh, is with a name like that. Yeah. It's Fair Ball. Yeah. And I don't even need to have a uh, padding behind home plate. <laughs> Which we all may, need padding behind home plate. Which Boy, may, which may be a problem as the game goes long if I've got to run down and cover third base. You're right on. Because oh. <laughs> that's one thing I think a lot of people don't realize about being an umpire. Is you say, it looks like it's a fairly easy job to some extent. But you've got to know, okay, if we're running a two-umpire system and there's a ball hit into the gap and the outfielders are going after it, okay, the base umpire has to run out and make sure that he can see whether it's caught or trapped or what. Yep. Which means the home plate umpire has a designation as to what base to go to then as well. Yeah. Because he can't just stay behind the plate. Every scenario. He can't just stand behind the plate and say, I'll I'll wait here until everything settles down. (laughs) No, it's like being an outfielder. People who don't uh, have familiarity with the game think you're just standing around out there. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) No, no. Every pitch, every scenario has a different place for you to be and then a different set of of scenarios as to what you do once you've made your play or someone else has made their yes. play you're still involved and oh, yeah. it's very much that way for an umpire as well well it always but we'll teach you that so yeah, come on out yeah it always drives my friends and i nuts when we're watching a ball game on tv and you see the batter drop down a bunt down the first baseline or just squib one and the first baseman comes charging in and the pitcher just stands on the mound Oh, no. Pitcher never no. stands on the mound. No. Did you see the Yankees the other day? I mean, we'll be anyone who cheers for the Yankees, but I couldn't believe the heads-up play by the pitcher because the outfielder just wired one way over the head of the catcher. It was the catcher. Yeah. But uh, but the pitcher was in proper backup position, yes. made the catch, and fired to third and got the guy on, oh. out on third base. Oh, so wow. that it turned... Uh, what would have been probably two-run yes. scoring disaster into an out at third, yeah. and the fans went wild. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. Funniest one I ever saw was, again, overthrow of a catcher. The runner who had been rounding third now keeps coming for the plate. The ball hits the brick wall oh, behind the plate ricochets and ricochets straight. straight back to the catcher. <laughs> and he turns around and, oh, hi. We have big issues with that in Prince George. We need yes. to we need to fix our fields in a mm. in a big way. It's going to take uh, some some public funding to do that yes. because our our plates are too close to the backstops, mm. which doesn't teach our batters how to properly bat. It doesn't yeah. teach our runners how to properly run, and it doesn't teach our fielders how to properly field. If yeah. you can just throw the ball and it hits the backstop and hits the uh, catcher in the back no of the head, yeah. 
And the other thing is, of course, with the catchers as well, it doesn't teach them a lot about how to catch a foul ball. Right. Because, oh, there's a foul ball. It's out, it's out of play. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's just no. out of play. Yeah. But, uh, no, okay. Uh, I think that'll about do it. Frank, thank Thanks you very, very much, much for coming in. Yeah. Appreciate this very much. Yeah, had a pretty good show today. Uh, I don't know for sure who we're going to have on next week, but we'll try to have a couple of guests, and then we'll talk sports post to post. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.